Well, John 11 this morning, uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to wrap up a study that we, went, we started in the summer. Remember I said, this is going to be our summer study. It's going to kind of flow into the fall a little bit. Hey, here we are in 2021. We're still in this study. Uh, looking to Jesus. Uh, I, I kind of put together a series of 10 to 12 weeks, and I'm like, nah, no, we, you can't get through the study without looking at this aspect of Jesus Christ. So keep tagging ones to the end and in the middle. Well, here we are still looking to Jesus, which by the way, I don't know if you've caught this, but every single sermon that's ever preached from this platform should look to Jesus. I mean, that's the call of New Covenant Believer. If there is someone that speaks behind this platform and does not promote Jesus and does not encourage the body to look to Jesus every Sunday, something's wrong. Nonetheless, we're in this study where we've been dialing in on this. Through the times of unrest, uncertainty, doubts, discouragement, disgust, any or all of the above, we are to follow the exhortation of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and to fix our eyes on the beginning and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So when is that? When are we to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ? In a broken time. Every moment of every day. All the time, look to Jesus. It's just that maybe through this time of uncertainty, this is a little bit more fresh in our minds. Today we want to dial in on this key idea. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. And what about Jesus that we're going to fix our eyes on today? Here it is. He is the resurrection and the life. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you could find a more appropriate portrait of Jesus than this for right here and right now. So the nonsense of the stuff that happened this last year, heading into 2020, and I saw so many of these different things like, okay, 2000 was good the last seven days, but I think we're going to go ahead and jump to 2022. Whatever the case may be, we are going to wrap our minds this morning around this concept that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. However, before we even get to this, I want to start with something maybe a little bit more morbid. Before you can start talking about life, we need to acknowledge what the Bible says about death. This is the real deal in the Scriptures. It's a theology of death. You study what death is, how death came, and how we are are to respond to this death. Well, I want us to think about this. Please understand that near and dear to my heart were so many in the congregation that through 2020 experienced this in their families. Went through mourning because of this. Even some very recently. But what about death? Since the creation of the world, by the direct power of God, an estimated 105 billion plus human beings have died. Wrap your mind around that. An estimated two people die in the world every single second. And the numbers are estimations here in some aspects, but an estimated 55 million people died in 2020. Do you think about that? 2020, worldwide, 55 million people died. Out of that number, staggering 4% died of COVID. Here's the question. As Christians, how are we to process this, death. When we think of death, what is to come into our minds? What passages are we to meditate on? Because this is a real deal in a real world. Have you taken time to think about this? That every single human being born into this world, other than two, we're talking about Elijah and Enoch, we had this discussion last night as a family, Every single human being born into this world, all 105 plus billion, have experienced death. And maybe in your seat right now you're saying, ah, ha, ha, Pastor Andrew, Jesus didn't. And I might say, yes, he did. Jesus experienced death. By the way, if Jesus didn't experience death, we have no gospel. 
Jesus experienced death, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. Hundred billion plus people have been born on this planet, have died on this planet, and bodies have turned into dust on this planet. And how are we to process that biblically? Well, I think very possibly the first question we need to think about is why death? Why? Why death? The Bible tells us exactly why death came into the world, and it was through the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden. If you remember Genesis chapter 2, at the beginning of your Bible, some of you may not be as familiar with the beginning of your Bible as you are with the epistles and that, and that such in the New Testament, but at the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 2, it tells us exactly what happened. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. die. As Adam partook of that tree, death came into the world. Technically, theologically, three types of death came from Adam's rebellion, Adam and Eve's rebellion. First of all, a spiritual death happened. Think about that. You shall surely die. You would expect that as Adam ate of the fruit, he would just keel over and die. No, but something else happened inside of him. Something happened all over the the world. The known creation, but particularly inside of him. It was a spiritual death. If you have questions about the spiritual death, you can just open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see what the spiritual death is. This spiritual death would certainly lead, though, to a physical death. That apart from the rescuer of Genesis 3, would lead to an eternal death. You're saying, what is this eternal death? If you look in the end of your Bibles, you'll read about this eternal death. A spiritual death that would lead to a a physical death that would lead to an eternal death. And we're talking about death. We're talking about three types of things here. Death, spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. The biblical fact is this. Other than Jesus Christ who sinlessly, who was sinlessly conceived of the Holy Spirit because of sin, death has been passed on to every single person born in the world. And you and I are not exempt. Romans 5 says, therefore, just, Paul says this in Romans 5, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who is that one man? Adam. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Okay, so who is prone to die? Oh, everyone. No one's exempt. And every single person born in this world will also not only experience the spiritual death, but all 105 plus billion people will experience physical death. Spiritual death that leads to physical death. I mean, and less. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But think about this. In the flow of your Bible, okay, so I talked about death entering into the scene in Genesis 2. The promise of a rescuer from death in Genesis 3. Think about how this is explained. And you can maybe circle Genesis 5 in your Bible. Because this is very intentional through God's Holy Spirit. Moses writes about the history, the unfolding of a history. And there's a clear phrase that happens at the end of every verse except one. And here it is. And he died. And he died. And he died. All the way through Genesis 5. What's what's the purpose of that? Here's the purpose. Well, God is a God that's going to keep His word. Rebellion leads to death. The fact is, 100 billion people born into this world have physically died because 100 billion people born into this world were born spiritually dead. Furthermore, any of those 100 billion human beings who have not by faith embraced the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will also experience eternal death. Man, Pastor Andrew, you're going to get up here and speak about the resurrection and the life. What's your problem? 
That's a bit morbid. Well, that is the beauty of today's study. If you don't first interact with this, then you're not really, we're not really going to understand the meaning of, of, of John chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus emphatically states, I am the resurrection and the life. So John 11. In John 11, we see how Jesus, in a real-life situation, handles death. I mean, a lot of times we say, what would Jesus do? Well, here we see how Jesus handled death, and I love it. And it was death of a close friend of his. It was mourning of a close family uh, friendship. How did Jesus handle death? Well, that's the answer found in John 11. What's the story of John 11? Just briefly, I mean, if you step way about above the 30,000-foot view... This is in the New Testaments of your Bible, which means we've been looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus in the Old Testament. Now Jesus is on the scene in the first four books of the New Testament. We clearly see his life. Um, the rest of the Bible in the New Testament then saying, look at what Jesus did and look to his return. Nonetheless, John is in the New Testaments of our Bible. In the book of John, we find the writings of this. Think, let's just think about this for a minute. I'm not going to take a, a ton of time explaining John. We spent a lot of time in John the last six months. But who was this written by and how old was he? Okay, we're talking about an apostle of Jesus Christ who's most likely writing this between the years 80 and 90. 80 to 90 years of age. He is writing this. I, I love this. He doesn't hold back. You're gonna find, we're going to find this in John 20, 31. He doesn't hold back the intention of this because if you think about who he's writing to, who would he be writing to? If he's writing between 80 and 90 years old, and, and really te technically it's 80 to 90 AD, I think his age kind of mirrored that of Jesus Christ. Think about who he's writing to. Okay, so you had a generation that grew up as little critters and they saw Jesus' miracles. And guess what happened? They grew up and they had kids. And this generation who had kids are saying, kids, guess what? We saw Jesus. Oh man, you should have seen on that hill. 5,000 people. Men. And that doesn't even account for all the women and children there. I saw it. I was there. Okay, that's the first generation. They experienced it. That generation passes and now the kids are like teaching their kids and say, you know what? Here's what your grandma and grandpa said. And you know, we kind of got a taste of it. We heard it, and then we saw the apostles. We heard of this amazing thing happen in Jerusalem. That's the next generation. Now you have a generation come, the third generation. All the apostles at this point, except for John, have passed off the scene. All of these apostles have taught Jesus Christ, and, and they are gone. In fact, this third generation sees something disastrous happen to Jerusalem. What happens to Jerusalem? 87, destroyed. This next generation heard about Jesus. But you know, I think in the back of their minds is they're like, eh. I'm just looking around thinking, mm, yeah, right. That was good for my grandma and grandpa. That was good for my mom and dad. But quite honestly, I don't see it. Okay, what does John say in John 20, 31? Chapter 20, verse 31, this is the purpose statement of the entire book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing you might have what? Life in His name. I mean, if you look at the writings of the Apostle John, as an 80 or 90 year old man, thinking back through these things. He's wondering if people are going to tr still truly believe in Jesus Christ. He knows that gospel waves have gone around the world, but there's still some skeptics. What does he write in 1 John chapter 1? He says, I want you to know something. My hands touched Jesus. My eyes saw Jesus. I heard Jesus. And he gave life. That's the purpose of this. John writing is an old dude writing to next generations and says, don't stop believing in Jesus. Jesus is real. And of all these people he's writing to, these people had experienced death. We're talking about the death, not personally, 
Well, he wouldn't be writing to them. But in their families, they'd seen death. They'd seen persecution. We're talking about dad going to work, not coming home. Put up in a vat of oil, burning. They've experienced this type thing. And is Jesus really worth it? John, in this book, is promoting the fact that in a world full of death, Jesus provides life. If you're in for some homework, read through the book of John this week and circle every time you see the word life. How does Jesus respond to death? We're going to see this in this book. In this chapter, John 11, John shares with us some amazing details of how Jesus interacted in a very personal way. Think about this. Jesus, okay, so now we're not with John 90, 80, 90. Okay, now we're with Jesus 30, right before. Think about this. We're back with Jesus. This is about a week before he goes to the cross. John 11 is about a week, maybe two, depending on how you slice and dice the timeline there. A week before he goes to the cross. And so we're talking about a week and maybe a day before he himself raises from the dead. Jesus administered for three years in Judea and Galilee, proving his divine power and nature. No question to the followers that Jesus has power from God. But still, they're not quite sure how this is going to work out. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I was just going to try to tell the story of John 11, but you can't tell the story any better than John did. So I'm going to read it. So you can see it on the back of your hands. If you brought your magnifying glasses, it's like .2 font. It's hard to get 44 verses in one page, half page. But God also gave you devices and Bibles in your lap so you can turn there as well. But let's just read this story. I want you to think through the details of this story. I'm going to read through all 44 verses. I want this story to come alive. Young people here in this room, don't allow your mind to wander. Think through the details of this story. Here's the story of John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister, her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I'm not going to make a lot of comment in this passage. That's a little bit of a confusing statement. But in other words, chill brothers. (laughs) Do not fear. There's God's work to be done and I'm absolutely safe doing God's work until God's purpose for me is complete. (laughs) Whoa! Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And I almost think that's just kind of a probing statement by Jesus, because here we find the disciples' response. Verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he is asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death. They thought he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Purpose statement. So that you might believe. But let us go to him. Verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his disciples, I love Thomas, by the way. We kind of call him Doubting Thomas. I love Thomas. 
Because he's saying what we are thinking. And here's what Thomas the twin said, verse 16. Let us also go that we might die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near, about two miles off. So many cool details of this. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. This was the custom. Even like professional mourners going on. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Just a quick time out. Wow. Did she really just say that? My brother died, but I know God can work through you. I love it. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Verse 28. Next scene. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Verse, 30, uh, verse 20, verse 30. Now Jesus had come, had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, um, he saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to, him, to, uh, to them, unbind him and let him go. Did we really just read this story? I've gone through this this week, so many details that I wish we could jump into. I mean, it would take weeks to unpack all of this. But nonetheless, the story here is true. Amen. Jesus did all of this. And there's a much bigger picture going on here. I mean, simply this. I want us to dial in on kind of the key phrase of this entire story. And I think you find this in verse 25, where clearly Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The fifth of Christ's seven I am statements in the book of John. 
what is Jesus saying here? I am the resurrection and the life. You thought about that? What is he saying? He's saying this. In me. In me. Death is conquered and life is restored. Without me, you cannot deal with the problem of death. Without me, death will not be conquered and life will not be destroyed or restored. Resurrection and life are found, and here's a good word, exclusively in me. Amen. Think about this with me for a minute, in a general sense. I mean, this is even admitted here by Mary. In alignment with the Jewish teachers and teachings of this time, with all these Jewish teachers except for a certain group, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in this. They believed that at the end, God would resurrect people. Faithful worshipers of Yahweh would be resurrected. So that's part of their theology. So what Jesus is teaching here is not like groundbreaking. No, you will have life at the end. No, they believe that through Yahweh. There would be life. God sent the rescuer to give life. That is the promise. But now what's happening here? This is so good. Jesus is saying that life that you're thinking about, it's not going to happen apart from me. You cannot deal with the death problem apart from me, Jesus says. Through this event, Jesus is dialing in this theological thought and focusing exclusively in him. In me, death is conquered and life is restored. Not only is Jesus reinforcing the concept of a a resurrection, but he is illustrating that this resurrection is personal and is grounded exclusively in him. No one else can do this for you. Only me. I want us to think about this, though. I mean, that that is the point of the passage. You, you You can't regain this life that was lost, this death apart from Jesus. You cannot find life apart from Jesus. That is Jesus' proclamation in this passage. Although I think what's really neat in this passage, you see developed through his life some details. And I want us to look at those this morning, just three of them briefly. I want us to see this. As the resurrection and life, Jesus promoted God's bigger purpose. That's very clear in this passage. Jesus is saying, you're not going to deal with the death problem apart from me. You can't fix it. Now I'm going to give you an expression of it, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. But in all of this, we find some really cool details. Let's start with this first one. As the resurrection and life, Jesus promoted God's bigger purpose. What's the bigger purpose? Same purpose for you and me. That God would receive the glory. That God is working all things, even In tragedy, sickness, and death. And He is working it all for what? His eternal glory. This is the plan of Almighty God. He's working all things in this life for His glory. And you say, okay, prove it. Well, good. Let's go to verse 4. I believe we see Jesus promoting God's bigger purpose. In verse 4, what does Jesus say? When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death. And what's the purpose statement? But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We're highly Trinitarian here in this church. This proves it. God the Father is glorified as God the Son is glorified. They're glorified together in this story. You can, if you want, write down verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. So we have God's glory and the belief of man. This is super cool. How they come together. God is glorified when His creations believe in Him. (laughs) Where do you say that? Well, look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So what is this? This bigger purpose. 
Jesus acknowledged that something bigger was going on in this event. Something massive. Yes, Lazarus had died, but God had planned this event for His eternal glory. As is consistent with the entire purpose of creation, God was working His entire plan for His glory and our good. And death cannot and will not stifle God's plan and His glory. God was taking, think about this. What God has done all the way through human history, God is taking something as ugly as death and turning it into something good called life. Why? For His glory. In this story, all of John 11, we get a glimpse of God's eternal purpose to recreate life out of death. And it is only through Jesus Christ. I mean, brothers and sisters, this is, this is good. This is good theology. Death, even through COVID, does not mean that God has lost control. We don't know all the details, but we know that through Jesus, He is working all things for His eternal glory and our eternal good. That is the business of God Almighty. For those who are in Christ, who have believed in Jesus, this is not the end of their story. Through Jesus, death will be used for the advancement of God's eternal glory. So when we look through this passage, John 11, we've got to understand that when Jesus is interacting with this death scenario, he is, he is looking at this and he's thinking, there's a bigger picture happening. There's a bigger picture happening. There's a bigger picture happening. God is being glorified. God is being glorified. And I would say that's not too far off of how you and I should handle where we're at here in 2021. There's a bigger picture happening. There's a bigger picture happening. There's a bigger picture happening. God will get the glory. Okay, so not only as the resurrection and life, Jesus promoted a bigger purpose, but also this. As the resurrection and the life, Jesus provided an amazing promise. This is great. After interaction with both Mary and Martha, listen to what Jesus said to Martha in verses 25 and 26. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, I would suggest like underlying, highlighting, circling all of the above. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He or whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So even though you enter into this time period of physical death, that is not the end of the story. And that's the promise of Jesus Christ Himself here. What's the amazing promise? Life! Spiritual life that will lead, most assuredly, to an eternal life. Even though physical death may be experienced, eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. For those who believe and have, given, have been given spiritual life in Jesus Christ, death will not hold us back from eternal life. Amen. Okay, I keep referencing the garden because we have to go to the garden. We have to go to Genesis at the beginning of the story. We can't ignore the beginning of the story. Flowing from the garden promise in Genesis 3, that through the seed of woman, God would rescue. This promise of life is consistent with the big story of rescue in all of the Bible you're holding on your lap right now. This promise of life is consistent with the entire ministry of Jesus. Remember, I encourage you to go through the book of John this week and just circle the word life. I'm just going to read through a couple of these passages. Listen how in John 1, the beginning of this book, how John describes the life-giving Jesus. Here he says it. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Amen. What about John 3.16? We know this familiar story. We, I mean, the little critters in our midst quote this in every kid program that we have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. life. He's saying that to this man Nicodemus. Oh, that whole story is 
wonderful. Nicodemus is like, how can I be born again and go into my mom's womb? He's like, there's a bigger story here. We're talking more than just a physical birth. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. What about John 5? Listen to what Jesus says to angry Jews. He kind of stokes the fire. Uh, John 5, 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. What about John 10? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them what? I give unto them eternal life and they will never perish and no one is able to take them or snatch them out of my hands. I mean, John isn't hiding it here. He's focusing on this life. What about John 20, 31 that we just read? But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have what? Life. Life in His name. I mean, 1 John. I love seeing all of John's writings through the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5. You might want to write down 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, because listen to what John says here through the Spirit. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal what? (laughs) Friends, spiritual eternal life is not found in how full and fun you have lived this life. Can we grasp that? Eternal life is not found in how full and fun we have lived the here and now. Spiritual eternal life is not found in how determined we are to make a difference in this world. That's good. Eternal life is not found in that. Spiritual eternal life is not found in how successful we are at the task of life that we're given. Finding our niche in the community and doing it well. As awesome as that is, spiritual eternal life is not found in that. If I could say this with absolute clarity, life is only in Jesus Christ who is the resurrection and the life. I mean, there's no... I mean, no holding back from John chapter 14. We've already seen this. Prior to going to the cross, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. Life is only found in Jesus Christ. I love how Paul explained this. So we've been, I've been mentioning John a couple times. <laughs> what about Paul? In 1 Corinthians 15, one of my verses I love in my life more than most. I love it all the same, but you understand what I'm saying. Death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us grasp this amazing promise that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want life, come to me. There's one more quick point I want to make, and I'll make this quick. As the resurrection in life, Jesus participated in the present pain. This is so good. This is very applicational, this point. It'll be briefly mentioned, but here's the point. Jesus' mentality was not simply, hey, I give life. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Stop crying over there, would you? He did not take the get over it mentality. What did Jesus do in this passage? Mentioned several times as you go through this passage. Verse 33 to 35 highlight this. Jesus showed compassion for real pain in this world. So sometimes we get so theologically high minded 
that we're like, yes, he's coming. He is the resurrection and the life. And we see pain around us and we're like, God will deal with that. He's a sovereign God. I'm going to tell you, that's not how Jesus dealt with it. What did Jesus do? Would you look with me at verse 33? When Jesus saw her, as Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was moved deeply in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. The easiest verse to memorize during BBS. <laughs> Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? That's a great question. I don't have a dogmatic answer, but a couple ideas. I do know this, he did not weep because he doubted God's sovereign control and power. He did not weep thinking, oh God, you lost it on this one. I think two basic reasons. One, Jesus truly loved his friends. And they were truly hurting. Jesus deeply sympathized with the pain of his friends and those around there. I think another reason... I really truly believe Jesus mourned the pain of a broken world in the need of a rescuer. This death. I mean, think about this. Very possibly as Jesus has seen it, one of his best friends is in the grave and his other friends mourning. Maybe he's thinking back to when through him, God created all things, as Colossians says. And maybe he's looking at his creation and saying, oh, this is not the intended purpose of this creation. Intended purpose of the garden is life and flourishing, not that. Whatever the case is, we very clearly see here in this passage that Jesus wept. He sympathized, and even beyond that, he empathized. He felt pain of a broken world. And if I could just make application to this, brothers and sisters in Christ, in 2021, is there pain around us? Yes. Is there uncertainty around us? Yes. Is there death around us? Yes. What are we to do as the body of Christ? I think we have absolute confidence in Jesus as the resurrection and and the life. So much that we don't neglect the Romans 12 exhortation to the new covenant believer. And here it is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What a story. I I think very clearly in this passage, you see Jesus proclaiming, I am the resurrection of life. You cannot deal with the death problem without me. But then we see how he deals with it. He promoted God's bigger purpose the glory of God. He provided an amazing promise, eternal life, and he participated in present pain. Jesus wept. So what? I think if we return to verse 25 and 26, there's a question at the end of verse 26 that I think so, fits so perfectly in the ending of this sermon. To be tied to the text, we need to analyze this question. Verse 25, I'll just read through it, and we'll come to this question at the end of verse 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And what's the question? Do you believe this? Amen. Friends, do you believe this? In a world that says you're nonsense to believe this. Have you placed your faith and trust in the only one who could deal with the death problem? Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Really? Those who have never come to Christ in repentant faith, my question is this. Would you believe in Jesus Christ today? Would you come to Him? I love what Paul says in Acts 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. 
Through Jesus, you don't have to fear death. So if you've not come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, what if today was the day? I do have another question, though, because so many of us here in this room have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we're growing in Christ, and the Spirit of God is working in our lives. And I have a question for you. Those who have already come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, do you believe this? Seriously? Really? Do we believe this story? Because I want us to think how radically different our approach to life would be if we truly believed this. Honestly, 2020, going into 2021, do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Through Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Amen. Sure, the process is painful. So many in here, several in here have gone through this last year. Oh, but let's rest assured that it's only temporary pain. Paul resounds, for me to live is Christ. And to die, oh, keep that away with the 10-foot pole. No, what he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. At what point in this last year have we handed that thought over? (laughs) Been really overwhelmed this week with this thought. Actually, the last couple months. Can we, as the body of Christ, stop embracing the mentality of a Christless world that fears death? Can we live confidently in the hand of a sovereign God? Can we live courageously as the hands and feet of Jesus, even in COVID? I should say, especially in COVID. Can we stop being freaked out by death and live confidently for our Savior? Can we embrace this promise? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh God, I thank you for this passage. Thank you for how meaningful it is to our hearts. This is the hope for rescuer. Oh God, I pray that in our life as we interact with death, we would realize that you have a bigger picture going on and that we can assure ourselves that you are working all things for your glory and our good. I pray, Father, that we would hold on to this promise with all we have. That for those who believe in Jesus Christ, It is not death to die. It is not eternal death to experience a temporary physical death. And I pray, God, that through all of this, we would truly empathize with the pain of this broken world as Jesus Christ did. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, It's no accident that you're here this morning to hear this passage. Prior to the sermon this morning, we spent some time in prayer. We want to close out the sermon time in personal prayer. There may be some here today, you've heard this since you were a little kid, (laughs) memorized all the verses received all the awards but you've never truly placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ would today be that day it's maybe something you need to go home and do some serious soul searching wrestling God is drawing you would you respond there's some young ones here parents have been talking about this for some time would you respond some older ones here that maybe have heard some of this a lot of this would you respond in faith to Jesus Christ believe on the Lord
Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be rescued. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. There, there's going to be some chaplains at the end of this service this morning. They're going to be standing at the front. And you know what? They're not going to stay here too long, but they're going to stay here and be willing to pray with you, talk with you more about this. I'll be at the front or in the back or somewhere around here. Come and talk with me, one of the elders here. Let's talk more about this life that's found in Jesus Christ. For those who have come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, would you pray with me that God would give us the grace not to fear this death? Sure, the pain's real, the process is painful, but that we realize it is not death to die for the believer. It is temporary. Because we found new life in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has graced us with new life, spiritual life, we have hope of eternal life. Would you hold to that? Pray for God's grace to help us to process this week in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, any and every conversation we have. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. Thank you so much for Jesus, the resurrection and the life. I pray to you, Father, as we go our ways, that we would keep this in our mind. We close out with this anthem of praise to you, that we would realize that there's a man of sorrows who took our pain on the cross. But he didn't stay on the cross. He rose victoriously three days later. Let our whole lives be built on that foundation, we pray. In Jesus' name.